Before we begin, this podcast deals with several heavy topics over the course of its four episodes, including topics of violence and mental health. We advise parental discretion if listening with children. When I first became a believer, I truly felt God. After I was baptized, my husband began to serve in the church full-time. Everything felt very simple. But now that I'm looking back, how could I have been so naive? Who is Yang Hui? How did her attempts to follow God make her a target? How did this simple woman from a village in northern China get marked as a danger to society? That's the story we're going to look at today. This is The House Church in China. This podcast is the true story of how Yang Xiaohui suffered, but why her suffering was worth it. It's a story of what happened to her in jail, and how the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Come, come my heart. Fill me with your joy and songs of praise. Rest, let me rest. Cover me with love and show your ways. Yang Xiaohui did not grow up believing in Jesus. She wasn't well-educated, and she had to drop out of school when her parents died when she was in fifth grade. Faith was not an important part of her background. But eventually she met a boy. And that boy began to tell her about Jesus. But he didn't explain it to me clearly, because he didn't quite understand himself. In fact, Xiao Hui and her boyfriend, Tan Jian, were already engaged by the time Tan found out Christians are supposed to marry other Christians. He told this news to his unbelieving fiancé, and she was startled. Did this mean they were breaking up? To save face, she said she was okay with it all. But privately, she decided that if he were really to break up with her, she would commit suicide because of the shame. The village church gave them a Christian wedding. Not long after, she had her first run-in with persecution. Her new father-in-law also believed in Jesus. When the local Buddhist temple held a large gathering, he used the opportunity to tell people about the Bible. The whole village rushed to our house. They were adamant to beat him up. My husband stood up to defend his dad and also his faith. They took them to the police department. That was when he was persecuted for the first time. I didn't quite understand 
but I tried to pray on my own. That was the first time I started to pray. In the last episode, we talked about who Chinese house churches are and what they stand for. The government pressures house churches because house churches insist that Christ, not the Chinese Communist Party, is their king and authority. From the moment Xiao Hui began to be involved with the house church scene, even before she came to faith, she was persecuted. She tried very hard to do the right thing, to worship God and live a quiet life. But trying to do the right thing leads to prison, first for her husband, then for her. How could I have been so naive? Let's go back to the day when Xiao Hui made her first uncertain attempts at prayer. Late that night, her husband was released. Throughout that long day, she struggled with nausea. When her husband got home, she had news. She thought she was probably pregnant. Sure enough, less than a year later, their first child was born, a son. He is now in his early 20s. Once their son was born, Xiaohui began to investigate Christianity. When the boy was old enough to sit up, at about six months, she started strapping him to her bike. Every week, the two would paddle from village to village to find the nearest worship service. At the same time, her husband began studying the Bible through pre-recorded radio lessons. Back at home, he talked with his wife about what he learned. She decided to get baptized. I declared to the devil that I was a child of God. I declared this to everyone. That was all I understood. I didn't know much else. Xiao Hui was naturally shy. She wasn't very excited about making small talk with adults, and she definitely did not feel very confident in her new faith. I was very introverted. And I didn't like to talk. Still, she was willing to help, so she started volunteering with the children's ministry in her village church. Actually, I was afraid to pray. I was brave enough to pray in front of the children, but not the adults. Still, they asked me to lead the children's Sunday school. I deepened my faith in God through. Leading Sunday school, guiding my son, and reading Bible stories. Nothing very big happened in my life. There was no sickness or anything. Slowly and gradually, I came to know this God. Not long after her baptism, her husband began to serve the church full time. After several years. He knew he needed more training, and that meant seminary. There are official seminaries in China, but those are affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party, and the house church Christians are wary of theological training that reports back to the government. 
so Xiaohui and Tan Jian decided to go to an unregistered seminary that was generating a lot of attention around China. In 2014, they moved to Chengdu to study at a seminary associated with Early Rain Covenant Church. Their second child, a daughter, was born there. This was also when they began to experience more persecution. Early Rain Covenant Church was led by Wang Yi, a former human rights attorney who converted to Christianity in 2005. In 2011, he became the pastor of the young church. In his foreword to Faithful Disobedience, a new book on house churches in China, journalist Ian Johnson recounts a conversation he had with Wang Yi that same year. Wang Yi said, A basic attitude of being a Christian is to be free. But you can't act free if you think you're a criminal. So we try to walk the path of being open. This openness has had consequences. Police long tracked and harassed early rain. And in December of 2018, they raided the church, arresting several hundred congregants. Wang Yi himself was placed in jail and has been sentenced to nine years in prison. But Xiaohui, Tan Jian, and their children went to Chengdu years before persecution hardened. Although they saw police officers almost weekly as they went to worship or study, the pressure did not dissuade them. Instead, they were excited about openly sharing God with people in need. In 2018, their family returned to their home province. God was calling them to start a church. Right away, they found people eagerly awaiting their arrival. A prayer group quickly expanded. Soon, they were welcoming people who had not previously attended church. By Christmas, the church had officially started. Yet Christmas of 2018 was a fraught time for Chinese Christians, especially those with ties to early reign. On December 9th, Wang Yi had been arrested. Because Xiaohui's husband had studied in Chengdu and was closely affiliated with early reign, there was tension. In fact, Chengdu police called them, but they just ignored the call. There was nervousness in our hearts, and we wondered whether they would come after us again. Although Yang Xiaohui and Tan Jian were scared, they decided it was more important to let the light shine brightly. Matthew 5:14-16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Tan Jian and Xiaohui were determined to make their church a place both seekers and Christians could find. They didn't put up billboards, but they let others know about the existence of their gathering. It was important that anyone, maybe someone who was depressed or was searching for answers, could find the church. They were not going to hide. They wanted to offer people the hope of the gospel. And to do that, they had to remain visible. Those who were watching us, 
they could find us immediately. This truly required the Lord to give us strength. Nevertheless, we came through. Maybe we were accustomed to this because we were in Chengdu for five years. If we suddenly had to remain private, we would actually feel more awkward. The church grew quickly. Within six months, 60 people were coming to worship. They had to rent a dedicated space. The lightning fast growth was overwhelming, but they saw God's hand. Xiao Hui and Tan Jian determined to remain open or public so those in need could find them. This would prove a costly decision. As we mentioned in the last episode, Tan Jian was detained for 15 days in January of 2021. They pinned my husband down on the ground. There were so many police officers that I couldn't even count how many dozens were there. During that time, Xiao Hui was sick and weak and scared. But when he came home, God restored the strength of her heart. Turns out she was going to need all of her courage. In November of 2021, police pried open the door to their apartment while they were out. When they came home, police seized Tan Jian and took him to jail. He remained in prison for more than a year, and he was only recently released. This time, Xiao Hui was miraculously calm. Every time the police came, I would tremble. I would shake all over. I could be very shaky to the point that I couldn't hold myself back. But in November 2021, I was very amazed. I didn't tremble. I felt the presence of God. Based on my own ability and with such a big scene, they turned the house upside down. How could I not be even afraid? The first time her husband was imprisoned, she couldn't sleep and was tortured by her fears. But this time, she decided she didn't care what they tried to do. I wondered if they had planted cameras, bugging devices, or anything in my home. But I quickly got over that thought. If God had permitted it, if I didn't say anything to offend them, if I prayed for them every day, and if I spoke God's words that He gave to me every day, then I couldn't wait for them to hear me. Although her husband was gone, Xiao Hui and her church kept on gathering and worshiping, preaching and praising. All of this happened in the COVID era. Sometimes, if local pandemic restrictions were in place, her church had to gather online. But as soon as restrictions were loosened, they met in person. In April, Tan Jian had been gone for five months. Since the city was recovering from a COVID outbreak, it had also been two or three months since the church had been able to meet in person. They decided to rent a hotel conference room so they could finally celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Unfortunately, that morning, authorities discovered one more case of COVID in their city. 
We had already finished our service and were about to start Sunday school. Then one of our online participants told us our city had been placed on lockdown. We should go home as soon as possible. Just as we were gathering our bags and leaving, police arrived. They told us they wanted to investigate the COVID outbreak, and we cooperated. Eventually, they found out we were there for a Sunday service. I knew they would report us. It was dark by the time the Ministry of Public Security people came. They arrested us and handcuffed us. We all knew we would face detention this time. We were handcuffed to stakes in the ground, with both hands cuffed. In the middle of the night, he started to interrogate us one by one. But around three or four in the morning, an official told the group of seven to return home. He said they had been sentenced to fifteen days in prison, but since the entire city was going on lockdown for COVID, the easiest thing was just to send everyone home to ride it out. Back in her apartment, Xiao Hui and her daughter continued with normal life. She knew that once lockdown lifted, police might return and ask her to serve her fifteen-day sentence. Her daughter began to flinch whenever a package delivery came to the door. Thinking it was the police, but when their city came out of lockdown, nothing happened. Months went by. Then, in late summer, the day before her husband's trial, she was cooking dinner. Someone knocked at her door. When she opened it, they said her name. Immediately, she knew it was the plainclothes police. The officer said they needed to ask her some questions. They told her to come with them to the station. She understood what this means immediately. I know they are enforcing the penalty now because they don't want me to go to court. It's not about the fifteen-day detention. Food was on the stove, and her house was full. Her daughter, her son was home from school. She was caring for a disabled friend, and she was watching another friend's daughter. And other friends, co-workers from church, were on their way to her house for dinner. She was worried that these other church friends might be seized too, and so she quickly agreed to leave. I told my son to go back inside. I'm going with the officer. I'm going right now. Take care of your little sister. I did not want to say much. After that, I left with the policeman. I was very grateful later when I was told that the other coworker arrived just two minutes after we left. The officers told her it was time to serve her fifteen days. In the middle of the night, she called her children. Mom will not be coming home soon, she said to her son. Please look out for your sister. Although fear and trembling were old companions, this time Xiao Hui felt peace. She wasn't scared. She wasn't worried. She put her light on a stand, and now 
it was time to suffer the consequences. An intern asked me why I was there. I told her everything that happened. I also shared the gospel with her. Because now I knew they wanted to enforce the penalty, I had peace in my heart. I did not feel disturbed at all. the next episode of the House Church in China, we'll look at life inside a Chinese detention center. It was not a good place. It was really hell on earth. You are a good person, doing good things. Yet, you are arrested. Our home, it is not in our own strength. Hello again. Thanks for listening. This is your host Ryan Zhang, translation manager and China Partnership, and I'm Hannah Nation. I'm China Partnerships content director. Yeah. So Hannah, after this episode, what are some of the things that jumped out to you? Oh man, <laughs> a lot. <laughs>、um, well, I think one of the things、um, that really jumps out to me is the house churches. At least the house churches we know of,、um, their responses to COVID. I think it、um, it's just a really、um, good picture of how much they they seek to submit to their governing authorities. You know, I w- I would say all of the house church Christians I know take very seriously the call to be good citizens and to you know participate. As much as they can, in you know the the societal life and communal life of their neighborhoods, and just of being a citizen in China, I, I think it's important to state that these are are not people who are kind of you know culture warriors or、um, you know making issues out of things that their government is asking them to do. Apart from really the one issue of gathering as the church, and so I think it's been really interesting to me just to see how much,、um, just you know, even in this story, there's、um, you know clearly a desire on their part to submit to their governing authorities,、um, to submit on the issue of COVID and COVID restrictions, and to to model good citizenship in those areas.、Um, And、uh, yeah, but at the same time, they're they're very insistent that the call to gather as as the church,、um, you know, is is the issue that that they will you know break that、uh, submission on. But I also think it's interesting how much you know they gather online a lot. I think that's actually something that often intrigues me is how much house churches. Not even due to COVID,、um, whether it's due to COVID, whether it's due to persecution, 
they gather on online quite a bit. You know, and that's that's been a huge debate in the U.S. Um, it's been a huge debate. I don't know how how did your church handle that debate? <laughs> yeah, we did some online for a couple of months, and then we almost as soon as possible we try to get back to pre to in person. And I think we can see that for them too. Is once the lockdown lifted, they get together, and not just to get together in person to hang out and see each other, but the main purpose was to celebrate the Lord's. Mm-hmm. Supper together, and I think that's for us. We do our Lord's Supper every week at our church, and I think that's an important part. And even for some of the folks at our church who continue to worship online and were afraid to come back, we've been steadily trying to encourage them to come back. Not just because they're missing the personal interaction with people, but they're keeping themselves from the Lord's Supper, which is a very special sacrament, a nourishing a nourishment to our souls. And that is a very important part of the Christian life to participate in. And I, I so I see, you know, that the, the house church gathering for them is important and they do it by necessity. If it's online, they have to do it online, they do it online. But if whenever it's possible, they do it in person so that the Lord's Supper could be celebrated. And I think that was um very encouraging to me. Yeah. I would love to see um, you know, the Chinese house church perspective on online church or, you know, digital gathering included in more of our conversations on this topic in the U.S. I think this is only going to be, you know, I think a growing debate in America. You know, how should churches think about digital participation? And and in general, I think um, Chinese Christians have been thinking about these questions a lot longer than we have. These questions really came to the forefront in North America with COVID mm-hmm. in 2020. But for chi- for a lot of Chinese Christians, they've been asking the legitimacy of online worship far longer than 2020 due to you know persecution. And so I think this is such a great example of a place where. Um, our brothers and sisters in China might be the older brother, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we might be the the younger brother on this topic and it would behoove us to to seek out their opinion and, and what they have already wrestled through on this topic and the parameters they've established for when it's appropriate to meet online and when it's not appropriate. Yeah. And I think we should also know that it's safer for them to meet online because a lot of the platforms they use have not been infiltrated by the government. So they sometimes meet beyond the firewall. So when they meet online, it could be anonymous and kind of private. But once they start gathering, getting together in public, in person, that's when they attract attentions. But they still do it because it's important to them to personally get together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so it's they don't just go online and hide. They, They still have the desire to get together, even though it's risky and costly. Yeah. You just mentioned the firewall. Maybe you could explain briefly what that is. Yeah. Firewall is a very tight control of the Chinese um, online space internet internet by the government. So a lot of times people go beyond the firewall to see what's available outside in the Western media or other news reports because within China, a lot of information from the outside have been blocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else that jumped out to you? I think one thing that surprised me, not it, it jumped out to me, was how much 
persecution, we think about persecution as a big picture thing, preparing going to jail and preparing your emotions, your theology, what you believe, but also just how it interrupts day-to-day life. Mm. You know, when she was taken in, she was cooking dinner and she had mm. to prepare her kids to make sure they add salt. I remember hearing from her interview, like calling her son to add salt to the food so that, you know, you know, when her friends come for dinner, they will have food on the table. And and all these things happen. You know, it's it seems like minor, but that's just reality of how persecution happens. It's Even when suffering happens to our day-to-day lives, we still have to think about, okay, well, you know, we just got this terrible cancer diagnosis, but we still have to put our kids to bed at night and do the bath. And, and how much of suffering interacts with day-to-day life and then how it's not a... Just uh, it's not just a conceptual, a conceptual theoretical thing, mm. but it's really real, mm. and that there are a lot of preparations that needs to go into persecution and preparing the family to go through persecution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking a lot too about you know I have two young daughters, um, they're five and three, and so just thinking about. What that would look like to um, make the choice, you know, that your um, faithfulness to Christ supersedes your physical presence with your kids. Um, I think, you know, that definitely challenges so much of um, uh, just, I think, a lot of the narratives around parenthood. Um that we deal with and just how, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, for me as a mother of young children, asking myself, um, if my loyalty to Christ, um, really, um, would be such that I, I would, you know, prioritize that over what could feel like my, my kids' well-being, um, it's, it's, it's hard not to feel emotional, you know, thinking about that question. Um, and especially like you were just saying, the abrupt nature of it, you know, I think, you know, this isn't a situation where she gets to, you know, have her, her, her final time. day and right. choose her time with her kid and do something special. It's just all of a sudden it's, it's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, but I also think what a testimony to her children, you know, mm-hmm. now I will get emotional, but, you know, what a testimony to her, her children to say, you know, there is something more important in my life than you. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't diminish my love for you or my, my parenting of you, but ultimately there is something more important in all of our lives than our relationships with each other even. I mean, and that takes and ex- just and a faith <laughs> and belief in the gospel and the reality of it um, mm-hmm. that challenges me deeply. And this kind of also highlights some things that we don't pay attention about in persecutions. That it's not just the, the arrest and imprisonment, but the low level pressure mm-hmm. on the house churches about you know interrupting your family schedule and school and threatening someone's. There are people who got their jobs being threatened because they participate in the house church or people turning off their utilities, getting their power cut off like they did in their church. And all these low-level things that are not legal 
legally done to to punish them, but th- those things happen to harass these Christians and affected their day-to-day lives. And these are things that's really hard to prepare for, but it's still very much real to them, even though not everyone gets in prison or everyone gets sentenced to 10 years in prison. Yeah. Do you think it's easier to be faithful in the face of these kind of low-level harassment, or do you think it's easier to be faithful when, like, someone's knocking on your door? I ask myself that a lot because I think that, like, sometimes actually the— like if it's a constant slow drip of really annoying things, it's like harder to be faithful in those situations sometimes maybe. Yeah, I don't know because I hope that as people get harassed enough, they would learn to be flexible and adapt. Mm. But I don't know if that's true or not because Mm -hmm. you still, I think they don't just do the same thing to harass you mm-hmm. all the time. They throw different things at you, and you have to adapt to different things. And I think that, to me, may sound scarier than just, like, take me for 10 years away, and I'll be in prison for 10 years, see you later. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe a way to kind of, you know, <laughs> wrap this all up is I would I would just say, you know, um, for people who are listening, you know, as you think about praying for persecuted Christians, you know, it's not it's not just pray for them when they're in front of the authorities or pray for them when they're taken away f- to jail. You know, it's pray for them with this kind of constant slow drip of of pain <laughs> and harassment mm-hmm. that yes. they deal with in their lives and the potentially corrosive effect that that could have on someone's faith, you know, and um, pray for the daily hardships and the daily struggles. That's right. All right. Well, that's all we've got for this time. We'll see you next time on The House Church in China. The House Church in China is written by E.F. Gregory and is a production of China Partnership. It is hosted by me, Hannah Nation. And by me, Ryan Zhang. Yang Xiaohui is voiced by Rachel Chen. To protect their identity, we are using pseudonyms for Chinese citizens. Sound engineering by John Stewart and mixing by Robbie Breckenridge. Our songs this week are Psalm 4 and Hold Our Children Fast, Psalm 78 by Daniel Snoke. Additional music by IB Audio and PremiumBead.com. Special thanks to City Reform Presbyterian Church for use of their space and equipment. And please, as you finish listening to this episode, take a moment to pray for the church in China. Fill me with your joy and songs of praise. Let me rest, cover me with love and show your ways. Uh-